Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Walton here. So glad to have you here with us today for episode 389 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Alan Stein Jr. to talk about his new book, Sustain Your Game, and how his speaking business has really evolved over the past few years. Now, when the pandemic hit, Alan realized that a, a large majority of his speaking business was based on in-person keynotes. And while the disruption over the past two years has proved to be challenging, it also proved to be an opportunity to diversify his offerings and thrive in that pivot. Now, with the goal of filling other Others buckets. Alan had to find a way to be of service and continue adding value for his audience. And so for him, that looked like writing his second book and creating a course and adding a coaching piece to his business. And so during our conversation today, Alan's going to talk about his balance for desire to serve others and also the responsibility of keeping his business and livelihood afloat. He's also going to share more about why he prioritizes being low maintenance and how it's contributed to his success as a speaker. Alan has really gracefully navigated the forced change that has taken place in the recent years. And when the pandemic hit, he really saw this opportunity to demonstrate poise and composure and servant leadership. And he provides incredible insight on achieving growth, being flexible, and sustaining excellence as a speaker. His experience on the stage and what he shares in his book showcase his commitment to timeless pillars of business building success. So let's jump right into my conversation with Mr. Alan Stein Jr. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speak Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we're talking uh, with my buddy, Alan Stein Jr., who's uh, actually was back, uh, was on episode 160. Dude, that was four and a half years ago. Uh, so it has been, it has been a minute. Great to have you back. We're excited to catch up here. You got a new book out, Sustain Your Game, which we're going to be talking about as well. Uh, so uh, Alan, thanks for, thanks for joining us, man. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it's been four and a half years, man. If, if you would have made me guess, I would have said two and a half to three. So yeah. time is flying and it's, it's always great to reconnect with you, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, there's been a lot of life that has happened between point A and point B now. A lot that's taken place. So first of all, let's kind of go back over the past couple of years. You know, we're recording this toward the beginning of uh, 2022. Um, obviously, uh, hopefully we are, we're just kind of talking about this before we hit record. Hopefully we're kind of coming out of uh, all things pandemic, but I feel like we've also been saying that for a while. Give us a snapshot, like what's your speaking business been like the past couple of years and how have you kind of pivoted and evolved? Well, one of the things I enjoyed most about being on your show four and a half years ago was I was a relatively new keynote speaker at that time. I mean, I'm, I'm entering my fifth year now. So 2017 was my first full, full year of speaking. Um, and and I yeah, I have a completely different vantage point now that I've got you know, roughly five years under my belt. Uh, I, I don't think that qualifies me as a veteran just yet, but certainly have had some really cool experiences since then. And uh, yeah, you, you hit it on the head. The last two years in particular uh, have been rather unusual to navigate the speaking world. Um, 
I've always been a silver lining type of guy. I've always been someone that when an adversity strikes, whether it's something with or without my control, I immediately start to look for um, ways to spin that into an advantage or ways to learn a lesson or ways to acquire new skills or do things differently. Uh, and the pandemic certainly shook up the speaking business. Um, I was someone that 98% of my income came from in-person speaking events. Yep. I didn't have a lot of other supplemental tools or courses or things on the side. So obviously the pandemic exposed that Achilles heel to my business um, that, hey, if, if you're going to put all your eggs in this basket, if something takes that basket away, you need to be able to pivot very quickly. So the silver lining for me was being able to figure out other ways to add value and to be of service and to certainly sharpen my, my virtual skills um, to be able to do that. So uh, as tough as this time has been for everybody in the event space, yeah. you know, I, I feel like two years later, I've learned a great deal that will help me moving forward now, as we all sincerely hope the world starts to open back up. So even if we go back a couple of years when the pandemic was really first kicking off and you're realizing like, okay, the 98% of my business is just evaporating right before my eyes here. And I realized I got to pivot to something. How did you even like, what was the thought process of thinking through like, where do I even begin? Because I think one of the challenges for speakers is there's a lot of different options. You know, virtual speaking has certainly come on as a very viable option, both in the short term and in the long term. But you've also done well with books and, and uh, you know, that you could do co uh, courses and coaching and consulting. And like, there's all these different things. But how did you try to navigate? And also, how do you think about it going forward of adding kind of potential legs to the stool of, of your business? I live by a 24-hour rule where when something goes really, really well in my life, I don't celebrate for longer than 24 hours. And when something you know tragic, adverse, or challenging happens in my life, uh, I don't pout about it or dwell on it for more than 24 hours. So I will say in full transparency, you know, on March 13th, 2020, mm -hmm. when the rug got pulled out from everyone and I saw an entire year's worth of events immediately get canceled or postponed some panic started to ensue. And that yep. 24 hours, you know, I, I was certainly reeling and, and had no clue what I was going to do. And, and I allowed myself to feel those emotions. I didn't suppress them or resist them. I just sat with it and, and was, was scared for lack of a better word. Yep. But because yep. I live by that rule, 24 hours later, I said, okay, I don't know how long this is going to last. And at the time, I think a lot of people thought this is going to be a three to four month inconvenience. Sure. So I figured, hey, I can weather the storm for three to four months. By the end of the summer and fall, things will be back to normal. That's not that big of a deal. But it did make me you know, lift up the hood and, and start taking a look at the engine and say, okay, if I can't do in-person stuff, what are some things I can do? And, and you basically rattled off um, the most obvious ones for speakers. Can I deliver programs virtually? Uh, can I do some coaching, either small group or one-on-one? -on -one? Um, can I create a course? Uh, can I write my second book, which is one of the things that I chose to do? So I started looking at other ways to add value. And I, I just had to keep reminding myself, speaking is what I do. It's not who I am. You know, my, my goal is to fill other people's buckets and to pour into others. And while I love doing that in person on stage, if that's going to be taken away from me, and of course, in my mind for three or four months, then what can I use to substitute that for these three or four months, which obviously turned into to close to two years. Um, so then, yeah, I just started to focus on other ways of being of service. And I've, I've found in my life that anytime I start to lean towards the woe is me feeling, uh, all I have to do is turn that around and figure out ways to be of service and add values to others. 
and it immediately makes me feel better. It gives me a, a renewed sense of optimism, uh, a renewed sense of, of positivity. So once I was able to flip it and say, okay, it's not about me and my schedule getting canceled. It's about other people who I know are going to be in need of what we as speakers offer. How can I do that now? And I decided to write a second book, which is the book, uh, Sustain Your Game. I uh, created a course and started to dabble in the coaching space. And all of those things helped refine skill sets that I do believe will help me on stage as we move forward. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned there is kind of during the, the, the height of it early on, especially like that, like you said, that first week or two, March 13th, when things really started to hit the fan, you said, you know, speaking is, is not, it's not who you are. It's just what you do. How do you kind of like, like on one hand, yes, that is absolutely true, but there's also the, 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 the potential urgency of like, yes, but I also have to eat and live indoors and I have bills that are coming due, you know? So it's not like uh, I can, man, the world's falling apart. So how can I just put on my mother Teresa cape and help everybody else and not put on my own oxygen mask. So how did you like, how did you then? And again, I guess even currently, how do you kind of think about that? Of like, I, yes, I absolutely want to be in service to others and I want to make a difference and I, and I want, you know, my, my work to matter and make an impact. But, you know, I also have a responsibility, you know, just as a, uh, to take care of my family and to make sure that they're, they're provided for and making sure that I'm, I'm not helping everybody else, but I'm drowning in the process. So how did you kind of balance that? Well, thankfully, I was in a financial position where I, I wasn't living month by month. I wasn't living keynote by keynote. I had a little bit of a padding that I knew that, hey, if nothing happens for the next several months, I'll still be able to live indoors and still be able to have food and water and, and clothe my children. So that took a little bit of the pressure off, um, but then realized that, you know, that was only going to be a, a few month runway to be able to continue to say that. But it gave me enough of a a padding to that I didn't feel like I was drowning. I didn't feel yeah. like I have to have this solved by Friday. It was more of, OK, in the next few months, what can I put in place? What type of infrastructure can I get in place that if I need to make additional pivots, I'll be able to do that? And, you know, it also brought to light a good portion of what I speak on is improving individual and organizational performance. And a massive pillar of that is leadership. And I also started thinking, okay, well, you know, in my opinion, it's my belief that leaders show their true colors in times of adversity, not when things are great. So here I'm trying to build a business on teaching people how to improve their leadership. I need to make sure I'm modeling that when things kind of hit the fan and things are really, yeah. you know, out of line. So I figured this is an opportune time for me to show some poise and some composure, to figure out ways to be of service, and to recognize that it's easy to look internal and go, oh no, my entire life has just now been, you know, professional life is now yeah. crumbling. But I had to have empathy for the fact that so many other industries and businesses, many of which we serve as speakers, were feeling the exact same pain. And once again, I tried to take the, the, the you know, microscope off of myself and say, okay, other people are in pain right now. Uh, so I immediately reached out to all of my previous clients and said, hey, you had my back when things are good. I want you to know I have your back now that things are a little bit uncertain and unprecedented and uh, just, you know, focused on the giving portion of it while I started to get these other things in place. And thankfully, by the time I started getting those things in place, uh, I was able to start earning some income, uh, mostly through virtual engagements, which, you know, if, if most people listening to this or in the speaking profession realize it took a few months for that stuff to get going, yep. you know, those first few months, everything was on hold because no one knew what was going on. Um, but then once groups started saying, okay, 
three, a three month pause is enough. We have to start pouring into our people again. We have to start educating and developing. So now we start switching to virtual. So um, I'm just thankful that I had a little bit of a window to collect myself and it wasn't necessarily something I had to figure out overnight. You uh, you mentioned it and kind of alluded to it that whenever we whenever you were on the podcast last time that you had only been speaking full time for about a year or so you had if I remember correctly like you picked up a lot of momentum really quick you know there for most speakers it takes a few years to really start to build up some traction momentum you seem like you were you were getting off to the races pretty quick there but even at the same time like you know the first year you're still like figuring out a lot of things so especially the the two key things we talk a lot about is who do you speak to and what problem that you solve and so I'm curious like how in the past four and a half years or so since you've been on the show and even in the, you know, the five years or five plus years of your overall speaking business, how has that evolved or shifted or changed? Has the pandemic impacted that at all? What, like, what does that look like now? And, and where does that come from? I'm a very linear thinker and, and I love structure. I love consistency. I love straight lines, if you will. I'm not an incredibly creative person. And, and I'm thankful enough that those that had poured into me very early in my career and guidance from people like yourself, um, those major pillars I had in place then are the same pillars that I, I pay attention to now. Uh, obviously, to make it in this business, you have to have compelling content and you have to be pretty captivating on stage. Now, um, I say that with, with air quotes because that doesn't mean you have to be the, the prototypical motivational speaker. Like there's so many different styles, but you still need to be able to hold someone's attention yeah. and share really quality content. Um, but where I've really leaned on, especially in, you know, uh, over the pandemic, there's two other aspects. Uh, one is the business aspect. You know, there's, there's speaking as a craft and then there is running a speaking business. And I have to remember that I'm responsible for both of those things. Um, but one other thing that I've learned and, and this is how I've approached every job I've ever had in my life. Uh, there's a lot to be said for being low maintenance and easy to work with. Mm. You know, I have so much empathy for people that that run events, for meeting planners, for bureau partners, and I know how much time and effort and stress goes into putting on an event. And I never want to give people headaches. I want to alleviate them. I, I tell every client I work with, my goal is to be the easiest thing on your agenda, you know, that, that I'm going to show up prepared and ready to deliver and do the best that I'm capable of, but you do not have to worry about me one bit. And, and I found, especially over the pandemic, um, that's something people talk about, you know, and I know yeah. you know this because you're a veteran in the space, but meeting planners and clients and speaker bureaus, like they're, they know who's a pain in the butt to work with and they know who is easy to work with. And that word travels. And that doesn't mean that you can be a mediocre speaker with, with average content. And just because you're really nice and good to work with, you know, it's still going to be hard to continually ascend to the top. But if those other things are in place, that last piece of the puzzle is just being easy to work with, being low maintenance and doing everything you can to add value in a variety of different ways. And I found, especially over the pandemic, um, where that stress level for meeting planners and clients was heightened, um, they really, really appreciated that. So uh, it should be common sense. I would yeah. hope that anyone listening to this would think, yeah, why would I want to be high maintenance or, or a diva of sorts? But I think it's worth mentioning because it, you know, uh, I get just as many compliments for being enjoyable to work with as I get for anything else. And I, and I actually really appreciate that. Do you think that like, how big of a factor do you think that is to your, your success? 
I think it's a major pillar. You know, I, I learned when I was really young, uh, my dad had said to me, and, and, and you can switch the words in this because some people don't necessarily like the way that it, it sounds when you talk about being liked because it almost sounds forced. But my dad said, being liked is just as important as it is to be good because being liked will get you through times when you're not so good. Mm. And, and sometimes I switch out the word liked for respected you know, that, that being respected is just as important as being good. Cause when you're respected, it'll get you through times when you're not so good. And, yeah. and all of us are going to have times, maybe even just a momentary blip where we're not at our best, where we don't show up as our best self, or we make a poor decision, or, you know, I mean, certainly my goal, every time I get on stage is to deliver to the best of my ability, but certainly there have been times I've stepped off, stepped off stage and just thought, that wasn't the best performance I've ever given. You know, yeah. it's, it's no different than turning on an NBA game. And, you know, 95% of the time LeBron plays like the King, 5% of the time he's not at his best. So we have to be willing to accept that. But I find that if you're really enjoyable to work with and people know you're there for the right reasons, you're not there to punch the clock. You're there to add to their event and to add to their attendees um, that, that, that will either heighten an unbelievable performance that you gave or you'll get a little bit of grace if you were a little off of your game. Yeah, totally. And I would a thousand percent echo that for those listening. I think this is really, 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 really important for speakers at any stage. And you you, you alluded to this, that, you know, event planners and, and event organizers, they are dealing and juggling a, a lot of moving pieces for an event. And a speaker is an important part of that, or multiple speakers are an important part of that. But again, it's one of hundreds, if not thousands of moving pieces. And so I totally agree that one of the best things you can do is just be absolutely dead simple to work with, like make their life simple. And I think a lot of times there's kind of a misconception of, you know, when we talk about that, it's like, oh, so you mean don't be a diva? It's like, no, no, don't be a diva, of course, but like do the little things, you know, like following up, doing what you say you're going to do. If they say sound checks at two o'clock, be there at 150, you know, and don't be stumbling in with your Starbucks five or 10 minutes late and just like be super, super simple to work with. And I would totally agree. Like that my career was built largely upon, like I was a solid speaker, been a solid speaker, but I was really, really great to work with. And just that makes their life easy. So whenever it comes to referring you to other people or bringing you back, okay, we've worked with Alan before we worked with Grant before we know what we're going to get. And it's just, it, it, it is a huge, huge deal. And you think about, again, this is true, not just with speakers, but in any type of industry of just, I worked with this contractor, I worked with the supplier, I worked with this vendor and, and the experience of working with them, all of a sudden, like price was less of an issue. Uh, the, the, the project itself was less of an issue just because man, they, they followed up, they did what they said they were going to do. They showed up when they said they were, and it just made my life simple. So I cannot overemphasize enough, like how important that is, like the customer service part, the customer experience part uh, of being a speaker is a, is a huge, huge, huge deal. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step -step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker.
Well, I, I kind of call it a tiebreaker. You know, if you have two speakers, both of them have great content. Both of them are captivating on stage. Both of them run good businesses. One of them's really enjoyable to work with and one of them's not. It's obvious which way the tie is going to lean. And yeah. for me, my number one goal in everything I do in life is to focus on the things I have control over, which for the most part is just my own effort and my own attitude. I mean, outside of that, I can influence some other things, but that's what I have control over. And really effort and attitude mixed together is going to give you how enjoyable you are to work with. And I love that you said, hey, if Soundcheck is at two, be there at 150. And when you get there, introduce yourself to the AV team and tell them how much you appreciate what they do, because they are the unsung heroes of every event. Yep. You know, the AV team is obviously can do what they need to do to make us look good, but they can also make us look really, really bad because if something doesn't work, that's the only time you ever notice the AV team. Yep. You know, they're so chameleon-like that they're in the background of the unseen hours. No one even knows an AV team is there unless something goes wrong. And, and I always want to show gratitude to those folks. Uh, some of the other things I do is, you know, uh, the moment I land, so uh, if I'm going to do a keynote in Miami, the moment I touch down, I send a text to my point of contact to just say, hey, I'm in your city, so yep. sleep easy. Because um, I don't want them wondering, did Alan get here? You know, he has a sound check tomorrow morning. We don't even know if he's here. He could be stuck at the airport. He could have missed his flight. So I want them to rest easy with that. Um, I always have a, a little handwritten note and a little gift that I give. Um, the, the note and the gift that I give them is tied to one of the core themes of my presentation, but I give that to them in advance and just say, hey, I know you're gonna be running around like crazy for the next couple of days, but I just wanted to give you this to let you know how much I appreciate what you've been doing and how much I've enjoyed working uh, with you. And uh, I also am cut from the cloth that anytime I can arrive to an event a little bit early and sit in on some of the other sessions, uh, one, to either cheer on a colleague, whether I know them or not, I want to yep. champion and support anyone in the speaking business. But I also want to make sure that I'm listening to anything that's said before I go on so that I can make appropriate callbacks when it's my turn to speak. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a compliment from someone that said, we can't believe you came to the, the previous mm -hmm. days of you know uh, sessions when you didn't speak to the next morning. It shows people that you're invested in them, you're invested in their event, that you wanna do everything you can to make their event success. So uh, it's just these little things. And you know, how long does it take you to send someone a text when you land in their city? I don't know, eight seconds. Right. You can't invest eight seconds into relieving the stress of the person that's putting the event on. So for me, if I can do a bunch of these little things uh, to make them feel better, to be more enjoyable to work with, uh, I believe that that will be the tiebreaker. And, you know, since since kind of the theme of what you and I are talking about now is is sustaining a long speaking career. To me, that's one of the most important. You know, yes, we always have to be revamping content and learning new things. You know, I'm not a believer that you should give the same keynote for 20 straight years. Hopefully there's some type of evolution to it. Um, and yes, you should always be working on your onstage skills and your staging and blocking and trying different things out. Those are a given. Like that's just an ante to sit at the table of being a professional speaker. But I, I just want to make sure everyone knows that being, being fun to work with and easy to work with is how you stay in this business for 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, would a thousand percent agree with with all of that. It makes such a, a difference there. Now you kind of mentioned uh, the new book, uh, "Sustain Your Game," which is out now. Give us a nutshell on on what the book's about. So my first book, "Raise Your Game," came out three years ago and was 
designed to show folks how to reach peak and optimal performance, whether individually or organizationally. Uh, this follow-up book is to show folks how to stay there and sustain that level of excellence for long periods of time. You know, I know personally, I've always been fascinated by people that can sustain a high level of performance, not just for years, yeah. but in yeah. many cases, decades, especially in industries where turnover is so high. Uh, I come from a, a sports background. So, you know, seeing a LeBron James, you know, play basketball professionally for two decades, you know, I, I know Tom Brady's just on the heels of retirement, but seeing someone at his level do that for 22 years, heck, even the Super Bowl halftime show. I mean, Dr. Dre was yeah. first relevant when I was in middle school, yep. 1988. Yep. And he is now, you know, 35 years later is doing the halftime Super Bowl show is just remarkable that folks can find ways to consistently reinvent themselves, find ways to manage stress and avoid stagnation and beat burnout and still do what they love for long periods of time uh, is something I've always found remarkable. And, and I remember I was with a group of, of rookies, NBA rookies, and, and a prominent player was talking to those rookies. And he said, guys, you know, I kind of got good news and bad news. You know, the good news is you just made it to the NBA. And, and I know that's been a lifelong dream and you should be very proud of that. The bad news is that was actually the easy part. Getting to the NBA is the easy part. Staying in the NBA is the hard part. And he, he said it tongue in cheek with a smile because there is nothing easy about making the NBA. But the NBA, the average career in the NBA is three and a half years. So, so let that put in perspective when you see someone like LeBron knocking on the door of a 20-year career, just how impressive that is. So I know for me, uh, I, I don't necessarily know what I'll be doing 5, 10, 20 years from now, uh, but I know that I want to live by principles that will allow me to sustain excellence in whatever that is. And if you have me on your podcast 20 years from today and I'm still a keynote speaker, uh, I want to make sure it's attributed to these principles that I try and live by. So I think it's totally fair that, you know, obviously we don't know what the next five, 10, 20 years look like and what, how that's going to be translating in, ter in terms of a business. But what are the things that you feel like, you know, we kind of touched on like the, the customer service, the customer experience uh, elements of working with a, a client. What are the other things that you feel like are you're doing or you're thinking about that are going to help you sustain your own speaking business over the next several years? One thing I believe the pandemic has reminded us of is how much we enjoy gathering and how much we enjoy camaraderie and cohesion and being a part of a group bigger than ourselves, whether yeah. that that's at an industry conference uh, or that's a, a team building retreat with your organization. But when that stuff was taken away from us for close to 18 months, I think it reminded people, boy, I sure loved when we got together. Um, so thankfully, as speakers, I do believe there's a very high pent up demand for people to get back to doing that. And I think we're going to see a massive explosion over the next couple of years uh, in the speaking industry in general. I think it's going to be good for all of us uh, that are keynote speakers. Um, but where I'm so thankful that I sharpened my ability to deliver programs virtually, what I'm finding now is lots of groups um, are packaging uh, an in-person keynote is kind of the starting point. And then they're bundling that with two or three virtual follow-ups. Mm -hmm. So I'll go speak to company A and I'll speak to their sales team in person and I'll plant some seeds. And then 60 days later, I'll present a follow-up, a progressive and sequential follow-up to that um, to that same group. And then do that maybe 60 to 90 days later. So now you're actually getting some, some continuity to it. It's not just this one-off tap dance. It's more of a, let me plant some seeds 
let me follow up and hold you accountable to how you're doing. And let's do that a couple of times. So um, that's where I think we can kind of blend the two worlds together. And you turn one speaking engagement into something that has now three or four touch points, which for me, I love. I love yep. that depth. I love being able to say, hey, I shared some stuff with your team on day one. Two months later, how are you guys doing with it? What questions do you have? What, what challenges have you been facing? What has been working well? Uh, so for me, I think over the next few years, um, we're going to see a lot more of that. And, and I think speakers simply need to be creative when coming up with different offerings and bundles and packages and reinforcement tools, you know, where it used to just be you do a keynote and that was it. Well, now you can do a keynote, do a couple of follow-ups. Maybe you have a course or some digital videos or, or a library of videos they can you know, uh, invest access to. There's so many different ways now to take a more holistic approach. And, and for me, I'm incredibly optimistic over what the next couple of years will look like. Yeah, definitely gives the new gives new opportunities to change business models. Meaning, like before, let's say you were doing fifty keynotes a year, it was probably forty five to fifty distinct individual clients. And now it may be the type of thing where maybe you only work with you know ten to twenty clients, and but you work with them more uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, and perhaps, like you said, it may be uh, you're only doing ten or twenty keynotes, but then working with them ongoing in a virtual way. So it also perhaps increases revenue while decreasing the amount of travel time, which I know can be a drain for for speakers. So there's a lot lot of, you know, I, I, I've told a lot of people lately that the pandemic, oddly enough, is one of the best potential things to ever happen in the speaking industry. And it creates some, some really, really good opportunities that just previously didn't exist. Now, I, I want to shift gears here for a second. Um, so you've got the, the new book that is out. But at the same time, I know like books have been like a big part of your business. And this is just purely outside looking in. But I'm uh, I'm speculating that I know like Raise Your Game has done really, really well. Uh, I'm, I know that uh, Sustain Your Game will, will do just as well, if not better. Uh, and so I'm curious, like how having a book has fit in to your business, how you think about that in conjunction with speaking and, and kind of how you, you blend those two worlds together between books and speaking? I use the book as a $30 business card in essence. Yep. Like my goal is how can I get this book into the hands of as many people as possible that are decision makers to hire speakers? I mean, it's uh, first of all, I've enjoyed the book writing process. I actually enjoy the book marketing process. You know, it's uh, I'm not concerned with making lists or selling millions of copies. My concern is I look at it as a game and say, okay, how can I find someone today that would benefit from this message or where the message of this book would resonate with their team and add value to them? And I would say at least a third of all of the, the incoming inquiries I get for speaking come from the book where someone reads the book, says, hey, my, my colleague gave me this book. I read it. Can you deliver this message to our sales team or can you deliver this message to our team? So, so strategically, uh, the book is a great lead gen for speaking. Um, and it's also a great follow up touch point or, or even one on the on the preemptive side of saying, hey, I'm going to be speaking at your event in three months. Would you guys like to invest in a copy for each attendee? And encourage them to read it before I get there. So by the time I get there, there's already this foundation of, of the themes that I'll be talking about. So it's I'm not coming out on stage brand new. Right. They'll be somewhat familiar with my message. Um, so we use it as both a pre and a post investment. Um, so for me, yeah, the book is a tremendous supplemental tool. Uh, I give away tons of books for free. I mean, if somebody reaches out and says, hey, I, I heard about your book. We're thinking about bringing a speaker in. Just give me your address. I'll send you a signed copy immediately um, yep. because I have the confidence that if you read the book and the message is in alignment, 
then you'll be more compelled to hire me as a speaker. And if for any reason you read the book and that message is not in alignment, that's okay too. You just you know disqualified me as the right candidate. And as a speaker now, to me, fit is what's most important. You know, I I, I want to make sure that I'm speaking to audiences that are open to receiving the types of messages and, and strategies that I share. If it's not the right fit for them, I'm okay with that. But yep. I don't want to be on stage in front of a group of people where it's it's kind of you know oil and water. I want to make sure that every group um, it's an it's a mutual fit going in both directions. And the book is a great qualifier for doing that. Do you have a rough idea of how many of the clients that you work with end up pre-ordering books for all of their attendees, just roughly? I would say about half either either order them in advance or order them as a follow up, either or. Um, yeah. Which again, just people do the quick back of the napkin math there. Like that starts to that starts to become like a real revenue stream as well, um, and it becomes a you know a tool that, like you said, from a business card standpoint, every attendee that has a book, you have no idea what that book may influence or get to other people and other departments or in other companies or friends or family, and so it's a great way to to start to spread a message. So um, yeah, I think that there's a there's a lot of truth to that. And it's also a great way to make sure you're you're organized with your content. I mean, that was the reason I wrote Raise Your Game in the first place was when I first started speaking, I mean, I was certainly doing the best I could at the time with the tools I had, but looking back on some of those early keynotes, it was just kind of this random collage. Like I would just get on stage and just tell a bunch of stories and have some lessons, but there wasn't a real good order or flow to it. It literally was just like, I got all this I want to share and the book forced me to really get organized and say, okay, how can I, how can I bundle or package some of these thoughts together? Uh, how can I put them in a sequential order that makes sense where they build on top of each other? How can I, so, you know, just the process of writing the book, had I not even published Raise Your Game, if I just wrote that as my own personal manifesto and kept it as a word doc, mm. it would have been worth the effort to do it because it got me crystal clear on the message that I would then deliver from stage. So um, just the, the exercise of writing the book and putting those thoughts together and organizing them has been incredibly helpful. And then to mirror a keynote to what you write in the book, now you've got kind of that back and forth. You do a yeah. keynote, people are interested in the book, someone reads the book, they might be interested in the keynote and those two things kind of in a circular fashion uh, support each other very well. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Let's put a bow on it in this way, meaning that again, when the last time that we talked, which again, as a side note, I would definitely encourage people to go back, listen to that episode. I have referenced your Kobe Bryant practice story numerous times with awesome. speakers, which again, we'll just tease it at that. It's a phenomenal story tragic, um, you know, passing of, of Kobe. So all it makes the story potentially even more powerful. So I would encourage people to go listen to that again, that's episode 160. But again, at the time, four and a half years ago, when we had you on, you'd been at it for a year or so building momentum, but still kind of figuring it out. Now, fast forward, you know, five, five and a half years, six years later, you're again, sustained that momentum and that's continuing that momentum. So speakers who are kind of on that journey in the first five years or so, and they're trying to build that momentum, they're trying to, to build some sustainability to this. What, what advice do you, would you give. We've touched on a lot of things here, but any overarching thoughts to wrap up here of what you feel like has really helped you to sustain your own game? Just remember that it's never going to be a straight line. It is going to always ebb and flow. You know, there, there are some days where I, I feel like I'm in the zone and I feel like I'm starting to really get this speaking thing on lock. And then there's other days where I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, what, what am I doing here? Yeah, so yeah. Th those things are going to go up and down and you just have to understand that is the part of any process. It's, it's about working towards mastery of the craft. And, you know, I do believe that that speakers should be in it 
for the altruism of wanting to share an important message that has a positive impact on others. So in order to sustain longevity in this business, keep it about others and pouring into others. And if you do that at a high level with great content, great delivery, you're easy to work with, you run a good business, then there's no reason you can't be in this forever. Um, There's a gentleman named Peter Crone. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. I've I've devoured a lot of his work and really I, I like his approach to life, but he says something that I think is so impactful. He says it's, it's very possible to simultaneously be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same mm-hmm. time. And that's really how I view myself, you know, from a speaking standpoint. And, and, and there's not an ounce of self-righteousness when I say masterpiece. What I say totally. is at present, I am proud of the work that I've put in and I'm confident to step on stage to do the best I'm capable of. There'll still be flaws and imperfections, but but I'm a masterpiece with what I'm ready to bring to the table today. However, I'm not done. And I will always be a work in progress. And I will always be trying to fine tune and tweak and grow and improve. But you can be those things simultaneously. And the reason that's so important, if you're always postponing everything to the future, you know, I will be a great speaker when right. you're never going to get there. You never actually get to the future because when you do arrive, the future is now in front of you again. So at some point you need to have the confidence and the wherewithal and the enjoyment of where you are at present. And it's okay to, to feel a sense of contentment with that, but just balance that with the fact that you always want to continue to work on raising and sustaining your game. Yeah. Very well said, Alan, we appreciate the time. If people want to find out more about you, check out uh, not only the new book, sustain your game, but also the previous book, raise your game. Where can we find out more about you? They can go to allensteinjr.com or strongerteam.com. And I'm very easily found on social just at Jr. on the major platforms. I love engaging with folks. So if anything Grant and I talked about today resonated, shoot me a DM. Uh, would, would love to continue the conversation. Alan, always good catching up with you, my friend. You too. Thank you so much. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review with an iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them, and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there, and you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one coaching. Our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us, and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.